three, two, one, zero, 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 zero. From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Crash Connell, Mary Danielson. It is Friday, December 22, 2023 on the calendar. This is the last podcast for we're going to take uh, next week completely off. It's going to be uh, just music in the 9 a.m. hour. And if you're not listening right now, then never mind. Okay. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yes, December 22nd. I'm dreaming of a wet Christmas because it's not going to be white up here in the great white north. We're going to get rain, and we won't see the sun for at least a week, so yes, classic uh, early winter weather. I'm a little disappointed. I do like a white Christmas, but, you know, it's just that's just uh, out of my hands. So we're going to just uh, enjoy the holiday anyway. And we have Chris Quintana with us this morning. We're going to look at some scriptures about this particular season of Christmas, and if we have time at the end, I'm going to ask him some questions about what he thinks about these uh, living large in the last days here. So we're just going to get underway here. There's all kinds of stuff we can cover with Chris, as always. But my scripture this morning is Second Peter 1, 16-21, and it says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. What great verses. Would you pray with me this morning? Oh, Lord, you are our all in all, and the world uh, in its current form and economy is passing away. And we look to a day in which righteousness will dwell and every tear will be wiped away. So, Lord, uh, we do lift up those who are feeling grief or hopelessness during this season. Uh, We ask that you'd use us to be an encouragement to anyone who is struggling, uh, that we could have an opportunity to point the way to you. Thank you that you continue to use us for the kingdom in these times. I lift up Chris and his family and ask for protection and good health and, and open doors to bring truth to those that you have put into their lives. And, Lord, that they would finish well and with joy. In Jesus' name, amen. I am just so glad to welcome back Pastor Chris this morning. He pastored Calvary Chapel Cypress, which then became Calvary Chapel Old Path from 2010 to 2020. He relocated to Texas. Now he teaches the scriptures in an online format. Chris leads trips to Israel. I know that is definitely dear to his heart. Uh, What comes through even more so, though, when you get to know Chris is how much he loves the scriptures and tying it all together so that we can better know the Savior. Chris, welcome back to Stand Up. Oh, such a pleasure to be with you. It's good to hear your voice, Mary. So thank you for the invitation. It's good to be with you. Yep. Well, I figured a really good time to have you on would be right before Christmas because there's so much that we can talk about. Uh, You have a YouTube channel. Um, where you have some teachings. We have a lot of teachings on there. Where can we find that? And then how? Uh, what are you going through right now as you're uh, teaching through the scriptures? 
Um, well, the YouTube channel is um, Old Path Theology, and uh, so my name and Old Path Theology, you'll be able to pull up the YouTube channel. Um, we also have a website, oldpaththeology.net, and there's a link to the YouTube and some stuff that I did back when I was uh, still at Cyprus for books that we had uh, gone through back then, mm-hmm. too. So currently, um, I just have one more week in Second Peter, which you just read out of, and uh, then I'm also in the book of Psalms. Um, so we do an Old and a New Testament uh, Bible study through the, through the Bible each week. So on uh, Monday nights, I'll be in the Old Testament, and on Thursday nights in the New. Great. Great. I know that uh, I really encourage people to go in and get some solid teaching uh, at that site. Um, Chris, when I opened up with this verse, cunningly devised fables, that just really oh. stuck out to me. Um, what is a cleverly devised fable? Because, I mean, when I'm thinking about Christmas time, and I, you see these memes out there, is Jesus a homeless socialist refugee? I mean, is that something that comes under that heading? Or what exactly is a cleverly devised fable? Oh. I don't suppose Peter had that one in mind, but it works <laughs> fine because, you know, that things change over time. But the, the sophizo is the uh, cunningly devised, where we get sophisticated. Hmm. So it's um, cunningly devised is, a, is like a sophisticated, well-crafted, really thought through fable is mythos. It's mythology. So okay. when you start to pick apart the Greek in this, you understand, oh, he, oh he's talking about the, the you know, the, the Roman, the Greco-Roman world with mm. all of its mythology. So that would be something that the early church would have to kind of come to grips with, that the culture in which they lived is all based upon deities that are just a sophisticated mythology, and uh, that really was going to be a, a real uh, challenge to what it was that they believed, and he's he's saying this as a counter to what was their world, cunningly devised fables, sophisticated mythology. So he says, we don't follow such a thing. We have the Word of God that tells us that Jesus would be coming. We were there when he showed up. We watched him. We heard the things that he had to say. The Father testified of who he is, and we were there when he did so. So we have all of this reason why we should believe it's not mythology, it's fact. We were there as eyewitnesses to it, the fulfillment of the scriptures in the person of Jesus, and we were there with him. Mm. So that's why he says all of that, which leads into chapter 2, warning, just as there were false prophets in times before, there's going to be false teachers among us as we go forward. Mm. So it's one of those important things that when we read the scriptures to understand it in its fullness and completeness, you know, he's basically, by saying what he's saying, he's setting up for the rest of the book. Hmm. Um, by finishing what he says in chapter 1, uh, sets up for chapter 2 and 3, because the whole rest of the book is all warning them about the days in which they live. Hmm. Hmm. And I do want to um, talk to you a little bit about the rest of the book, simply because there, I know there are a lot of highlights in there, things that are so applicable. I've I've come to just love First and Second Peter for our times. I think that they're just tremendous, tremendous books. But I want to just circle back for a minute because I think some of this um, progressive view of Jesus and Mary and Joseph is perpetuated today by these these ads that we see during uh, football games this time of year, and it's uh, he gets us. And they have just taken this all to such a level. If, if you don't check it from time to time, you don't really see how, 
how demented this is because now Jesus was an influencer. So they've, they've given him titles, not wonderful counselor, prince of peace, almighty God, none of that. Influencer, activist, inclusive, of course not judgmental, Chris. You know, heaven's no, he would never be, but influencer, that's new, that's new. Like he's a YouTube star or a, um, a, X or, or whatever, whatever, some TikTok or whatever these are, Instagram star. And I just, I just, I roll my eyes, but really, it's very offensive. Um, the, the whole article is just called Jesus Was a Refugee. Um, and he talks about the Magi and he talks about Herod, hen- Herod's henchmen. Um, but they probably ran from their home and tried to stay hidden as long as possible. Uh, ergo, they were poor and young, and they were refugees. And so, you know, it's just a sort of a wild, you know, take a stab at whatever fits the narrative today. And people are going to see these ads. And, uh, I, you know, I know what you think about he gets us, Chris, but do you have any insights for us about that sort of nonsense? Yeah, because we find it also, and I know this will make some people very upset with me, but we see the same thing in The Chosen and mm-hmm. uh, works like that. We can so emphasize his humanity that we rob him of elements of his deity. Yeah. And that's that's my problem with it. Yeah. When you try to make him so folksy, you know, he's one of us kind of a thing, well, he he shared a human, you know, a, a human body. We had that in common, but that's about where the similarities end. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what we um, look at in the scriptures that tells us that he was born as a as a man because he was going to pay the penalty of mankind, and so he became one of us to give his life as a ransom for us mm. humans. And his blood was shed as a perfect sacrifice that we could be reconciled and ransomed back to God. So we want to make sure that, yeah, he was very much human. Did he need uh, to put his head down at the end of the night and and sleep? You bet, because he was very much human in that way. But he was perfect, and outside of the creation, he was—he never stopped being God in the flesh. He is eternal, and so you know, people. Sometimes the more that we try to humanize him, we forget yeah. all of those other details, and then end up presenting Jesus in in a diminished capacity, where we so emphasize his humanity. Mm-hmm. And there's a real danger to that. Mm-hmm. And I think the shack is something that sort of paved the way to the chosen in a way because. People gave it a category uh, of writing. Well, this is this is just you know it's fiction. Well, no, you can't take real people and real lives and and God and who lived and make stuff up about them and say that well this is just another form of literature or this is just another way to look at this. And Chris, I, I find that very disturbing that they feel that they can take uh, real people, real um, you know real events and just put a different spin on it and somehow. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's to me. Those are cleverly devised fables as well, because they really do call into question the nature of someone who is real and can be known. Sure, and the idea was Jesus a refugee. The people making that silly statement usually haven't thought so far through it. They start to equate it with them coming to Bethlehem rather than escaping to Egypt because they know so little about the scriptures. Hmm. So when he, you know, he was still in vitro when they came to Bethlehem, mm-hmm. and they weren't refugees at that point. They were being law-abiding citizens moving within their own country. So that just falls apart under even basic examination. Mm-hmm. But when he actually was taken away to Egypt because God warned Joseph, you need to get your family out of here because Herod is looking to kill any male child two years and below. 
And this was obviously an attempt by the devil to try to eradicate the world of the Savior, not understanding, you know, of course, anything he thinks he could do to try to slow down what God was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he had a death sentence on him until Herod was dead. That's why they fled, and that's why they were, quote, refugees. But, you know, to try to, to, to equate that to what is happening in our world today, whether it's in the Middle East, as they talk about, quote, unquote, refugees, or what's happening here on our borders. Um, th- there's just there's nothing that's there that, that is reminiscent of what happened with Jesus um, in his early years. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, I agree with that. Um, I want to ask you, because you have been teaching Second Peter, uh, what, what is um, the flow there? Tell us a little bit about the flow of how you've been approaching this, teaching this uh, verse by verse, and, and some of the things that really, really are applicable to us today in the church, things that we're supposed to be watching for. What what are your highlights of Second Peter? Oh boy, a lot um, of them. <laughs> before I forget, it's just still in my mind. I want to want to say one last thing on that whole refugee yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, if you remember, when died Herod, they came back to their home country. So let's mm. just leave that one out there. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, when it comes to Second Peter, as, as we are already talked, the rest of the book. Is, is dedicated towards trying to make them aware of the world in which they lived. So when he mentions that there are these false prophets among the people, even as there were false teachers among you, um, there will be, they will secretly bring in destructive heresies. So that's chapter 2, verse 1, and that really does set up the rest of the, of the book. So what does it mean to the church? Again, looking at their time, Again, you, it's always important for us to be able to look at who is the, the original recipient of the letter, because it wasn't written, when Peter writes these things, it's not, let's just put this aside for another 2,000 years, and then the people that really this is intended to reach, mm-hmm. they can read it. And that whole, that's just such nonsense. So when you hear about sophisticated mythology, they understand it very, very well in their day and age. And so it was... It was him letting them, letting them know that we're different. We're not like the world and whatever the culture is going to glom on to at any particular mm-hmm. time and try it to give it an explanation away from the truth. We're not of that type. So then the rest of it is warning. Here's what it's going to look like as we get closer to the return of the Lord. There's an urgency in this message, in this book, and you get this, this impression that he feels that all of these things are pretty much an imminent a sequence of events. And you find that with all of the writers in the New Testament as they're writing about end times. It's like they're thinking this is, is a, a very short-term thing, and only God knows that it was going to extend a couple thousand years. So important for us to recognize whenever we see these kinds of warnings, it is intended for us to say there's a, there's a generation that will be alive before the Lord returns, and there are things said about that particular generation. It doesn't mean that we're newspaper Bible readers. It -hmm. means, rather, you're supposed to be aware of your surroundings, Mm -hmm. as Jesus uh, spoke about in Matthew 16, about, you know, you can tell me what the weather's going to be like tomorrow, but you don't even know the signs of the time. He's rebuking the religious leaders. Yes, and and Peter says he's going to be going home pretty soon, right? He says, I must shortly put off my tent. And the Lord Jesus has shown me that. So he knew, and so there's a sense of urgency based on that as well. 
Um, but he also talks about false prophets and destruct- destructive doctrines, false teachers and that sort of thing. Um, false prophets, I don't know if we completely understand the notion of false prophets. We certainly understand destructive heresies in our day. I mean, the church is a mess or the, prof- the visible church is a mess. Um, what was he exactly talking about? I mean, what can we liken this to false prophets today? Are we talking NAR or that sort of thing? Um, I know that he, he would not have foreseen that, but what can we liken that to in our day? You know, I'm, I'm glad that you said it that way, because uh, Peter makes a distinction between those in verse 2, or, or chapter uh, 2, verse 1. He said, there were, past tense, false prophets among the people, hmm. speaking of the Old Testament, even as there will be false teachers among you. So we don't have to worry about the, quote, prophets. If, if somebody's going to try to tell me that they're a prophet in the modern sense, I'm going to, you know, after I get done laughing, <laughs> I'm going to, you know, kind of put them to the test. Yeah. But um, just to show the, the silliness of it, the caution here is people who will come and teach things that are mm. referred to as heresies. Mm. And so through the ages, we have plenty of examples of that. We have plenty of examples of them in front of us today. And rather than drill down on any one particular heresy, remember, Peter writes this, and it might mean something different at the time that the person's reading it. Um, mm-hmm. So the Gnostics would have been the very big mm-hmm. problem to that time. They're still with us today, these people who yes. have inside knowledge because they're more adept. But we have plenty of things around us today. And yeah, the false prophets and false apostles of modern day, and the signs and wonders, the pursuit of all of that, the mystical, contemplative spirituality of the, of the more conservative, old-line denominations. We, you know, there, there's, there's heresy du jour everywhere that you look <laughs> within the church. <laughs> Because the devil's had a couple thousand years to work that stuff in. Mm. So mm. Uh, it's not that he's he's pointing to any one thing in particular. It's really said as, hey, pay attention, because there's a lot of things. The devil's going to try to give you what you're looking for yeah. and and lead you astray, and he'll have people that will be the purveyors of yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, you know, when he talks about the depravity of these false teachers, you know, he calls it like it is, brute beasts, um uh, and there are spots and blemishes. Uh, they have eyes full of adultery. They cannot cease from sin. They entice the unstable. A heart trained in covetous practices. I mean, if if the church would take uh, the prosperity teachers and all that, it would have taken and kicked them to the curb a long time ago and believed this that Peter said. We wouldn't have so much mischief in the church. And and yet, um, I think you know Peter says here's here's wh- who these people are. Where Chris? What happened? Where did the church not not get about brute beasts? What what do we not get? Uh, well, you and I would look back on this and and we would just basically say um, he gives this caution, knowing full well that people are going to be susceptible to it. Yeah. But it's what I think people ought to understand. None of this stuff is said in a vacuum. Um, when you, by the time you get to chapter 3, uh, Peter starts to talk about the mockers and the, the scoffers that will come in the last days. And he uses the same exact term that Paul uses in 2 Timothy 3 about the eschatos of days. So we talk about eschatology. It's the end things. Paul talks about that in the last days, the eschatos of the days of mankind as we know it, within that time there will be perilous times. They're ferocious, vicious, these these times. And they're, it's not speaking about the world. It's speaking about things inside the church. Hmm. So Paul's caution to Timothy, Timothy, you pastor there at Ephesus, 
Paul's poured a lot of his life into Ephesus, and here at the end of his life, he's having to send Timothy to clean stuff up. So he's telling him, here's what you can expect going forward. Just know that these days are coming, perilous times within the end of days. Peter's talking about the exact same period of time, because the description that he gives there in chapter 2 of these false teachers is identical yeah. to the kind of things that Paul's talking about in 2 Timothy 3 mm. and 4. Mm. Same thing. Yeah. They're, they're, they're singing from the same hymn. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Well, and I love in, in, in two, 2 Peter three, uh, 2, chapter 3, where's the promise of his coming? Uh, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, that's just a big fat whopper in the first place because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the culture changes, wars and everything, uh, judgments, uh, captivities, all these sort of things happen. But it says they willfully forget. Um, right. You know, so they're taking part in that, and so then they end up scoffing. That seems to be a symptom of the willfully forgetting and suppressing the truth um, you know, I, I guess I don't understand the willfully forget part, but that's that's what they choose because it says they're walking after their own lusts. Right. Um, so all these are symptoms of that whole hard-heartedness because they don't want they they don't want Jesus they don't want Jesus to come. Is that the general idea? That and plus they want to be able to have the freedom to do what they want mm. to do. So mm-hmm. if you can undermine the authority of God's word, then there you go. I don't have to be. I don't have to be subject to someone that I can disprove in my own mind and heart because I lust after this stuff. So it's it's one of those things that when you read the Scripture the way that it is, it's given as a very, uh, as a methodical answer. But to me, there's there's an incredulity in this that Peter has is like, maybe you guys forgot about the whole uh, the whole flood thing. So he says, here's what they fail to, to willfully mm-hmm. fail to recognize that the world as we know it has gone through an incredible cataclysm, and the one that we now live in is being reserved for when God's going to melt it all down. Yes. So that's what he is saying. God's judged it before. He's going to judge it again. Yeah. And it's it's one of those inescapable things. Yeah. You think everything continues on as it has since the creation. Maybe you forgot about the flood. Yeah. That's what he is saying. Yeah. Interesting. And then it says in verse 9, and that'd be chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. So they're still reasoning within themselves of what they think slackness looks like. But then it says um, the answer to that is he's long-suffering. I mean, Chris, how many of us would not be saved? Um, how many that we go to church with today would not be saved if God was not long-suffering toward us? And some of us lament and we go, oh, why are we still here? Why are we still here? Well, we're here for a reason. And somebody, and we're going to talk about the fullness of time in a little bit here, but the fullness of the Gentiles were waiting on that. So somebody get their act together, as people like to say about that. Mm -hmm. Somebody's waiting. Somebody's willfully forgetting something. So that, you know, what do we talk about humans reasoning within themselves? This is a real problem, Chris, when people think they know when he should or should have come. Yeah, yeah. as soon as we get saved. Now you can come back. It's good now. It's good now. The coast is clear. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the the long suffering. Here's an interesting thing because this is now given to him as an attribute. Where most of the time that you get long suffering, it's asked of us. We should be long suffering. Mm-hmm. And so when you look up and when you try to understand what it means by long suffering, it's beyond just simple patience. It's enduringly patient, mm. even with the implication that you're having to suffer some kind of personal injury, whether it's you know physical or if it's mental, if it's 
psychological, whatever it be, there are people who look to do harm to you in some way or another, and yet you persist. So in this case, think of all the injurious things that have been said about God. He hates you. He hates people. He tells you to hate other people. Look at all the nonsense that we're hearing (laughs) from the LGBTQ people who can't stand our God who gives moral standards. And the things that they say slanderously against him, and yet he endures all of that because mm. he's desiring that men would come to him. Yeah. So he hasn't brought things to a close because there's a time until he says it's enough, he will give man every conceivable option to come to him. <laughs> it's yeah. really kind of an interesting passage to read Calvinists on this one. Uh, it's, it's an interesting thing to see how they work through this, that he wishes that all would come to repentance, that the God who can save all doesn't uh, wow. in their minds. Wow. Yeah, which is pretty bizarre. Yeah, it really, really is. And and they, they kind of take a, a pot shot. They poke God in the eye and they poke believers in the eye because believe, we believe it is the, the blessed hope and that he has promised this to us. And they say, where is the promise in other words, you've been saying this for a long time. God's been saying this for a long time. So we're all getting slandered in the process here. Where is the promise? And God is a slacker. So that's what I'm getting out of, out of the beginning of chapter three. He doesn't keep his promises as he, and he's a slacker. And, and, and so we're just going to uh, live according to our own lusts because that's all that matters to us. Um, so he, what do you think, Chris? Is he, he's taking a shot at all of us. Oh, absolutely. Because this is, again, this is the, the reason why people want to give for not believing hmm. that they can bring this, this mm-hmm. charge against God. Actually, the funny thing about it, you and I talking about this today, I just taught this section last night. Hmm. Uh, so verses 1 to 9, I just put it up on the YouTube channel last night. And it is, once again, it sets the table for what comes after that, because right after it, as all of these eschatological passages come up, there's always the appeal at the end of it. So knowing these things, how should we conduct ourselves, mm. we believers? Mm. Because you're going to have the, the naysayers, and you're going to have the enemies of God say what they're going to say. What then should we be doing in these days, mm. considering those things? Very interesting. And that's something that I think is really very important, that people like yourself and people like myself because it's in the text everywhere that you look, especially in the New Testament, speaking about the days in which we live. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Let's alert people to what's being said. What are the warnings? What are the signs? What is you know said about these things so that we have our eyes open? But at the same time, how do we conduct ourselves in a world that is so incredibly hostile towards what we believe? Yeah, yeah. and as we're talking here, I'm thinking about the church the church in so many ways is saying where is the promise of his coming and that's the saddest thing of all because they don't want to teach prophecy anymore well we used to teach that or we used to believe that or whatever that particular horrible witness is everywhere and you can't go on google and and try to find uh, things about pre-trib of course it's going to be negative same with on social media if you say you're a pre-tribber they'll have you for breakfast lunch and dinner and none of it makes any sense. They can't argue from the scriptures intelligently. It's, well, I used to, but now I don't. It's the great escape, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, Chris, we only have a couple minutes in this particular segment, but what do you say about the church being such a horrible witness to these things and being the scoffers themselves? Sure, and let's just call it what it is. I think of the people who have the view of amillennialism and preterism. Mm-hmm. They believe that everything that was warned about has already taken place. So pretty much the entire book of Revelation, don't even think of it as future. 
it's something that, that has already taken place, and for some inexplicable reason, God has left us here. So, you know, we're just waiting for whenever the kingdom is going to be. Um, those are the people that, if we're going to think of the church, not the people on the outside mocking us, the, un, the unsaved world, remember what this is talking about. This is warnings within the church. Hmm. That's the okay. context. False teachers that will show up in the church, and these are the things that they'll be saying. So these are the amillennialists of our time. Great. I'm glad that you, uh, I'm glad that you actually de- uh, delineated that because, um, I've been disturbed for a long time by how much, I think when we first get saved and we learn prophecy, I didn't know anything about prophecy at all because I was raised in a, a denominational, uh, church. And so when I first started to learn these things, I was completely blown away. It never occurred to me that people weren't as excited about that particular thing as I am and was and continue to be. And I, I think it's, uh, it's very sad that Peter had to actually talk to the church about these things. But, you know, lovers of self, a form of godliness, but denying the power, all of those things as well, uh, under the heading of perilous times, are are um, within the church. And uh, never thought of that. See, we can talk about more when we come back. My name is Mary Danielson. You're listening to Stand Up for the Truth for December the 22nd. And it is our last fresh podcast for the year. So we're going to talk about... I. We're going to talk about the fullness of time when we come back. It's such a big subject. I'm not sure where we're going to go with it or what we're going to be able to cover because uh, the Bible opens with a concept of time in the beginning, and then all the mischief follows after that. So we're we're talking to Chris Quintana today, um, and uh, he's we covered uh, first uh, Second Peter in the first part. And in case you missed that, you can find that uh, when the podcast posts afterwards. So it, join me uh, for the second half. Stay with me. Uh, we'll be back in two minutes. Our social media pages are shadow banned. Thanks for your prayers and sharing our posts at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for Friday, December the 22nd. We are speaking with uh, Chris Quintana. Um, Pastor Chris, who's always got some great insights into the Word and... Um, it's just such a blessing to be able to chat with him and see what he's uh, thinking about as we wind down 2023. I want to talk about something called the fullness of time in this second half because we have a couple of verses about that, one in Galatians, one in Ephesians, and we have something called the fullness of the Gentiles in Romans 1. But Galatians 4, 4 and 5 say, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Then we have Ephesians 1.10, which says that is in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, in him. And then in Romans 1, like I said, we have something called the fullness of the Gentiles. What is the general idea here, Chris? Because, um, you know, just the phrase alone suggests that we're waiting. We're on the edge of our seats waiting for something if we're living in the Old Testament. At least I hope we are. But can you just flesh that out a little bit for us? What is that fullness of time? Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have to overthink it. The, mm-hmm. the language itself pretty much settles it for us. And the Galatians passage in the first three verses kind of gives you the back for it. Um, and it's ultimately this. They're, they're, we're in that place you use the word waiting, which is a great way of looking at it. To God the day and the time and everything is known to him. What well, we really want to make sure that we understand that everything and how how life has been for the human being in you know since the beginning of the creation, the time comes when God and how he interacts with mankind is going to change. 
in, a, in a, a, the most elementary of ways. Hmm. So you and I would look at this and say, well, that means that we believe that the church will be removed and that the, then at that point, God begins the judgment of the nations, which is the book of Revelation, those last seven years. So that's when God is going to change the way that he deals with people. There are lots of things in the supernatural sense that are without any kind of historical precedent. And then at the end of that, he sets up a kingdom that lasts for a thousand years. Man is still able to rebel at the end of that. By chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, you have where he's setting up the forever kingdom, and anything that would be considered corrupt is gone. So that whole series of events is told to us in Scripture. We have the details of it. It's not very difficult to track down, and the Church will you know, disagree maybe on the timing of some of the events within that, but in the big picture, it's all right there, mm-hmm. everything that we know about. The question is, when does that happen? And so that would be the fullness of time. When God says, I'm done with the way that things are now, I'm going to do the next in the sequence of events. Mm-hmm. That's what's being spoken of in all of those. Well, it's interesting in Ephesians 1.10, there's that, that $1,000 word dispensation, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and to some yeah. people, they just don't like that word at all. because it, it But it does, dispensationalism does some amazing things, and that causes, I think it, when when the emphasis became on dispensationalism, no matter when people want to account for that, or it came about here or there, it caused people to get back to a systematic study of the scriptures. Uh, this happened, and God dealt with people in this way, and, he, and, and that there's a dis, different dispensation for Israel than there is for the church. Dispen, dispensationalism wow, has been good for the church, I think, in these times. What do you think about that? Oh, without question, because... The idea of looking at how God deals with mankind at, at particular times in history, it doesn't take any kind of theological training to see, well, that's clearly the case. Mm-hmm. So just, in the, just since God made the covenant with Israel, uh, Abraham didn't have to walk according to the law of Moses. It didn't exist. Mm. So mm. it simply tells us that, that Abraham walked with God by faith and that made him a righteous person or acceptable to God based on what he knew. It wasn't until Moses where God said, I'm going to put everything in writing in the form of a law so that you will know what not only I expect, but what the consequences for breaking that law will be. Here in this time, the church is back to faith. We're not walking in accordance with the law. Uh, We live under a law of grace. Now, clearly, the way that God was interacting with man in Abraham's time versus Moses versus now, clearly different. Moses did not have to be cleansed in the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, as the church must be to be acceptable to God, or Abraham for that matter. So as time goes by, God reveals to man what is acceptable to him, and ultimately the next dispensation that you and I would look at is where God says, I'm done building the church, now it's time for me to remove the church from this earth because I'm, a, I'm going to judge the unrepentant man. Mm-hmm. And the church is not supposed to be judged alongside. That judgment has already fallen upon Jesus. Mm. So that's the next of the dispensations that we might look at. Now, people have taken that to extremes and got into all kinds of crazy things, yeah. but it's undeniable that the standard for what is acceptable to God was different from Abraham to, uh, to Moses, now to us. It's really not really a difficult thing to, to flesh out. Yeah. 
Yes, and while the Gentiles were coming in and the church was coming in, God was also dealing with Israel. Um, it accomplished something else, that hardness of heart. Why did God harden their hearts while the Gentiles were, were becoming saved? What, Chris, what does the Scripture tell us was the purpose for that? I'm so sorry. Something just happened here that, that distracted me. Oh, okay. Can I have you phrase that one more time? So sorry. No problem. Yeah, talking about uh, the fullness of the Gentiles and the church coming in, but God was still working in the Jews uh, as far as the condition of their hearts were at the time. What was God accomplishing, Chris? I wanted you to explain about um, you know the fullness of the Gentiles, but God was still working in the Jews, and what was the purpose for that? And he has... You know, even to this day, so we can go ahead and just say from the time that there were were Gentiles brought in, which, by the way, was prophesied that God was going to do a work among the Gentiles. You find that all the way back in the book of Isaiah. Um, But at the same time, Paul would talk about it, that it's created a jealousy. Hmm. The freedom that the, the church has in their relationship with the Lord is somewhat foreign to a very orthodox Jewish person. The fact that we would just come to in prayer, you and I would say, Father, we ask this. And then we do so in the name of Jesus. The familiarity that we have with our Creator is just something that is foreign, even to people who reverence and and love the God as they see Him revealed in the Old Testament. So, you know, God is able to do the things that He does among the Gentiles while He's still doing this work among Mm -hmm. His people, Israel. Um, So why would He be doing things on a parallel track well, back to the book of Revelation, the, the number of the Jewish people that will come to him during that time of incredible trial mm-hmm. is incalculable. Mm-hmm. And then knowing what Jesus will do when he comes back to the earth as their rescuer that you read in from chapters 12, 13, and 14 of Zechariah, um, you know, it's just supposed to help us to understand that God's desire is redemption. To those that would receive it, Jew or Gentile alike, Mm -hmm. they receive it as soon as they ask for it. It's offered to them. And then, at the same time, the Jews will come to know the the one that they have pierced, that you see in Zechariah Mm 12.10. And they will mourn for him as one mourns for a a firstborn. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems so well laid out, Chris, and it's so easy for us to understand, and yet replacement theology is still there. And I I just scratch my head about that because it's very clear that hearts have been hardened in part. And yet the church doesn't seem to understand that either. I mean, what would it take for them to to understand that and not go off on this replacement theology craziness? Well, I know that this, (laughs) at times I've been accused of saying things that are provocative. Um, (laughs) What? So let me go, I know, let let me go ahead and do another one here. Uh, People who hold a replacement theology are just lazy in their scholarship Mm -hmm. and absolutely ignorant of what the scripture has to teach more than likely, they never spent a very much time in the, the Old Testament to understand that God's promises didn't have a shelf life. So mm-hmm. when God made the promises that he made to Abraham, like even today, the, the whole question about who has the rights to the land, the pro-Palestinian Christians, quote-unquote, uh, are trying to say that, that Israel is the usurper and uh, that they have no rights to the land. It's It's always been Palestine. Well, that's just rank ignorance yeah. when it comes to the scriptures mm-hmm. based on what God had said to the to the nation. So the promises that God made are forever, from Genesis 12 to 15 to 17. Not only did he give it to Abraham, but even in his descendants, it was made to Isaac and not Ishmael. He says that in no uncertain terms in chapter 17, where he just says, 
it will not be Ishmael through whom this promise comes. It will be through Isaac, period, Mm -hmm. end of discussion. So he doesn't even leave that as an option. He identifies it to the person as far as the genealogy is concerned. And he says it's a forever covenant, so forever is forever. There's just no way around it. So the idea that somehow you're going to try to explain away that all the promises are made to the church, that's just ignorance of Scripture. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And is God going to keep his promises to us then? (laughs) Exactly. If right. he can break that one, he can break any of them. Right, right. And why should we trust God for anything then? Um, you know, I I think of the fullness of time, and, and it fascinates me because I, I think if, if I had a box called the fullness of time, or if I had billboards along the highway, what would I put on them? I would put creation. I would put the fall, obviously. There was a time for that. The promise of redemption, the law, the Jewish nation itself, the sacrificial system. So um, all these things are paving the way for people to understand um, over centuries, because because it takes us a while to totally get the big picture, right? The sacrificial system, uh, the prophets, the temple, the Daniel's 70, 70 weeks of the four kingdoms in Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, all the captivities. And then we have the silent years, no king over Israel at that time. So we had the throne, uh, the scepter on the throne of David, and then all of a sudden it got really quiet. Chris, do you have any thoughts on those silent years? I know that was the time of, of Hanukkah that, that happened at that time. The Feast of Dedication of the Temple is something that Jesus actually uh, celebrated, commemorated. It's in the scripture. Um, what do you think about those uh, silent years when they did not have a king? Any any thoughts on that? Yeah, and really for the most part, he wasn't really dealing much with the prophets. Uh, of course, you have the Maccabean revolt. You mm-hmm. have the, you know, the, the, um, uh, the abomination of desolation, the first one that takes place under Antiochus Epiphanes, that happens during mm-hmm. that time, which caused the Maccabean revolt. Um, there's some really interesting history there, but if you remember in the in the, the last of the Old Testament books, um, God has always told them, "I'll walk with you if you walk with me, but if not, you're kind of on your own. Um, you know, I'll still watch from afar, but I'm not going to be interacting with you." if you're going to reject me. I, and I know I'm really oversimplifying that. Hmm, interesting. But by the time that Malachi is written, he's basically saying, read the first chapter of Malachi. He said, you hate me. Hmm. You priests, you hate me. And then he recites back to them the things that they have said about him. You know, the, 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 the offerings are contemptible, and the altar, the, all these things that he says about them. So it's, okay, if that's the condition of things, mind you, this is only about a generation, maybe a generation and a half from Nehemiah and Ezra, and they had fallen into that state of corruption. So God says, fine, that's how it's going to be. If you, even to the priesthood, are so corrupt, I'm going to, I'll quit communicating to you in the way of the prophets until I'm ready to begin doing so again through John the Baptist. Interesting. Because that, in that time of dispensation, now Jesus is coming, and there's a forerunner that we have from Isaiah 40, that one who makes straight the way of the Lord. That's John the Baptist. Well, I like how you put that. You know, what was the condition at the time? What was going on? Uh, and, and we, we can notice some degree what was going on, but I find it interesting when the, when the curtain is pulled back again, now we have the Roman Empire. Um, and I think that when it comes to fullness of time, there's definitely some things about the Roman Empire that would have made sharing the gospel and getting the word out, uh, more expedient at that particular time. Uh, and, and being under the Romans probably made Israel hunger 
for deliverance uh, for Messiah. They, uh, the Romans created roads, which made it easier to further the gospel. There was a lot of freedom of travel. There were a lot of Roman soldiers stayed, uh, you know, stationed throughout the far provinces. They could share the gospel. Uh, Greek was the language that was spoken, and a lot of people understood that. Uh, the Roman peace. And I, like I said, I think that was a really good environment, perfect environment for the gospel to spread quickly. Um, I don't know definitively, but I think as far as the fullness of time, I think we can see God's hand in that. Uh, but the Gospel of Matthew opens up, too, with genealogies. Now, that that doesn't leave um, too many questions either, does it, Chris? The genealogies are very important to open the New Testament with. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah, because you're going to be, you have to make the case. Like today, if somebody came and said, I'm the Messiah, really mm-hmm. prove it. Mm-hmm. Show me your papers. Show me your, Show me your papers. Show me your DNA. <laughs> so we could we could do that because very specifically we knew that that the uh, that the the Messiah had to fit a very rigid criteria. Um, so somebody showing up today couldn't ever begin to do so. And there's a real interesting wrinkle in that that through the line of Solomon that was cursed uh, because of the the wickedness of Jehoiakim. And so um, that was a line that was cursed. God said, he'll be childless in my mind, though he had children. So the whole line from Solomon down um, was corrupt, but not through Nathan. So we get that through Mary's genealogy. That all makes perfect sense to us, you know, as we, as we study through those things. But, you know, going back to your point, as far as the Romans are concerned, you can see even in his disciples, there was that, like you say, let's, for all of the, the stuff that may have been good for us that the Romans were there because they made society easier to deal with, they were done with them. Mm. And so you see the, uh, the the disciples in verse 6 of the book of Acts, chapter 1, they said, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? We're sick and tired of the stinking Romans. <laughs> and so it's when Jesus says, it is not for you to know the times nor the seasons that the Father has put in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's the perfect way of him saying, hey, it's great because the Romans have built these roads and we can get the gospel around. Now you're going to need the Holy Spirit to do this correctly. Mm. And so it's like, I'm not here to be the political leader that everybody else has been Mm. wanting to overthrow Rome. I've got work to do because as we've read in Peter, God is long-suffering. He's got a lot of road to cover before he, you know, comes to that fullness of time. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but, yeah, even the disciples were like, yeah, we're sick and tired. Let's go ahead and set up the kingdom. We're done with all of that. Yeah. Well, God says, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I think the genealogy, too, when it talks about him being from David, because Genesis 49.10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. They should have been looking for a descendant of David if they really, really wanted to know and be able to say, yeah, there he is, there he is. Uh, and also then in uh, Mark chapter 1, and you mentioned John, and I, I love how this flows here. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. To me, that is that is a plot twist right there, Chris. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. <laughs> Again, because this is exactly designed by God. This was, it's not a moment too soon, it's not a moment too late, it's perfectly on time. Mm-hmm. When Jesus went and spoke in the synagogue there in uh, in Nazareth, 
and he ends up saying, today this passage that I've read out of Isaiah has come to pass in your hearing. He's quoting from Isaiah 61, where it talks about proclaiming liberty to the captives and the acceptable year of the Lord. Yes. He stops before getting to the wrath of Almighty God. That's what he'll do when he comes back. Mm-hmm. But the idea that, that uh, everything happened as coincidence is like, you don't understand our God. Yes. Nothing happens coincidental. That's it right. is all done because God has this time settled. He's not linear like we are. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he sees everything in advance. He knows everything that would happen. So everything is done in accordance with his timing. Yes. And we are living in the pages of the Bible. People say, I want to live in Bible times. Well, you are living in Bible times because, yeah. because after all that happened in the Gospels, you had the church age, the diaspora, the regathering of Israel, Rome's going to come back again. I, I mentioned, I think it was, I don't know if it was yesterday, uh, Pete Garcia has an interesting thought about, uh, God shaping the nations and about our country in particular. And he goes to Acts 17:26, and I want to ask you quick what you think of this. And that verse says, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. And he talks about God actually keeping our country hidden for how long? Well, centuries until the timing was such that it would precede the time just before the tribulation. It was, it was an opportunity for the world to receive the gospel, to shelter a fledgling reborn Israel and set the stage for the world's greatest collapse, leading to the restructuring that allows for the beast to come about. So if you look at all of this and, and how we are leading up to that time, even the formation of our nation and all the nations really has a pre-appointed time. What do you think of, of Pete Garcia's premise there? And I don't disagree with that for a moment, mm-hmm. because again, for all of our faults, what what nation has God used, uh, you know, over a span of time to to more further the the gospel yeah. and to affect the world? As as horrible and corrupt as our country has become, we're still probably doing the best job of getting the 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 good news to the to the nations mm-hmm. and we can do so instantaneously through uh, through technology but here's the important part of this I, again the idea that God is going to do the things that he is going to do this is what Paul encountered in Acts 17 the exact same thing what Pete's on to is something that you can say other people have been on to recognizing the times in which they live mm-hmm. because Chapter 17 is the book of Acts where Paul, through no desire of his own, winds up in Athens because they were trying to kill him up in Macedonia. Mm-hmm. So he comes there and it's like, well, I'm here, so I may as well go ahead and take a look around. That's chapter 17 of the book of Acts. And they, they basically hear him talking about this stuff in the marketplace and they bring him up to what's known as the Arius Pagos, the, uh, the, the Hill of Ares or Mars Hill. And he says these things to them. And he says um, in verse uh, 25, he says, God is not worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. He's probably <laughs> pointing to the Parthenon mm-hmm. on the Acropolis. Right. And so he says, he gives life and breath to all things, and he has made from one blood every nation of men that dwell upon the face of the earth, and he has determined their pre-appointed times mm-hmm. and the boundaries of their dwellings mm-hmm. so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might find him though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being, as also some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. So that idea that that God appoints times, as he does here with Paul, if if you and I would be able to go back in the Wayback Machine, 
<laughs> and we thought, I wonder who God's going to end up using to go and preach to the Gentiles. We wouldn't pick mm-hmm. out Paul. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he's the guy that's looking to destroy the church until God gets a hold of him in Acts chapter 9. Wow. But, you know, God had that appointed. He knew exactly yeah. who he was going to use. Yeah. And it would be the most unlikely of persons. Well, and, and when you think about I mean, you know, we can argue till the elements melt with the fervent heat about whether America is a Christian nation or not. It really doesn't matter, does it? It All that matters is that there's pre-appointed times. We are, we are a picture of every tribe, tongue, and nation. I've, of, I've often thought that about this country. It's, it's a picture of, of, of the freedom we have in Christ and, 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 of course, the gospel going forth and such. I don't think it matters whether, you know, how many Christians does it take to make a Christian nation. We don't need to talk about any of that because these are appointed boundaries and pre-appointed times, and that is good enough for me. I don't know about you, Chris, and we only have three minutes left, so you prophesied correctly that we weren't going to even get to half of what I was thinking about, (laughs) all the prophecies of his first coming. I I read a quote this week. It says, there are no prophecies foretelling details about the birth of uh, other religious leaders. There are no prophecies alerting the world to the coming of Muhammad, Joseph Smith, David Koresh, Charles Taze Russell, or, or the head of Buddhism, or any of that. Gee, that's not in there, is it, Chris? It's just the one. What a bizarre thing to say. Like, then that would be where God says, hold my matzo. Um, <laughs> but the idea of us being a Christian nation, um, we don't have to be, we're not a theocracy. We've never been from the beginning. Uh, but if you just take a look at the, the beginnings of the nation, clearly these, so much of what we see in our, our, uh, our kind of the, the law by which we, uh, used to govern ourselves. Mm-hmm. I have to say used to. There's a caveat in everything. But um, read the, the writings of the founders. They mm-hmm. were clearly people who were very much influenced by the God of the yes. Scriptures. It yep. uh, didn't mean that they wanted to create a theocracy in anything but. Um, but I would say we are post-Christian now. We mm-hmm. are post, um, post-everything post that we were when things started. Yeah. Um, mainly because of the corruption of, of secularism. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense that things are winding down. And I think, you know, like we said earlier, if people are going to say, well, all things continue on. No, they don't. That That's just hiding your head in the sand. They do not continue on. There's an evil about our day. Spiritual activity is at an all-time high. There are a lot of perils in our perilous, little box of perilous times. Here's so many things. Oh, Chris, it, we got to have you back in 2024 because I had some thoughts on some headlines I wanted to throw your way. So maybe we'll do a headline show uh, in January. Would you be up for that? You know me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be there. I can count on you. I know I can. <laughs> yes. And so I'm, I'm just really thankful, Chris. I want to wish you and yours a very Merry Christmas and uh, a good start to the new year. Thanks for being on with me today. Thanks, Mary. It's always such a pleasure. It's good to talk with you. God bless you. All right. So we have, um, like I said, the last fresh podcast for this year, but we're going to start out with a bang in January. We are going to have J.B. Hickson. Uh, Pete Garcia is going to be with us. Alisa Childers, uh, she'll be back with us. She has a new book coming out. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, uh, just so many more. Um, I think we're going to be having Russ Miller, T.A. McMahon, Elijah Abraham, uh, so join us in January. Stay with us for the coming year. We have so many things that we can talk about and things that we don't even see coming yet because we can't see one minute into the future. But we are looking forward to um, talking about what God is doing, how we can see his hand. 
in the affairs of this world, this sin-soaked world that is headed for judgment. But praise God, um, Jesus is coming. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. God bless you. See you in January.